0: Good morning. Am I on? Am I good? Wow, that's bright. (laughs) So I love how Kirk opened us up with the analogy of a house. I wasn't actually gonna share this story because it's not necessarily, it is applicable, but not necessarily applicable to the topic that we're talking about. 16 years ago, 16 years and two days to be exact, it was October 20th of 2001, uh, I was a broken, ripped apart house as as kirk gave the analogy and i was in a cop car and i was on the jail, on the way to, on my way to jail for the last time and i was in that cop car and i gave my life to christ on the way to jail and i completely turned my life around god just ripped this house down to the studs and rebuilt it and now i have the privilege of standing up here and sharing god's word with you and this is a privilege this is i'm a guy who did not necessarily uh have an opportunity to be here but lord the lord paved the way and, and so I just wanted to share that with you. This house is a little bit bigger than it was 16 years ago. <laughs> but it's still a new house in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, so, we're, yeah, we need a little bit of remodeling, but that's, that's, more of a, that's more of a flesh thing and not a spiritual thing, so. Um, this is, this is a privilege uh, to be here and share with you. And this morning, I'm going to be talking to you guys about a satisfied work life. I don't know if I'm the perfect person to talk about this, um, but I have been in the workforce. Uh, I work for a company as well as own a business, and, and um, the topic of work is just so broad. And there's so many things to say. When I was preparing for this, I was like, man... I, I need weeks to talk about this. God, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to share with the community what it is that you wanna convey to them about work? And so first we're gonna do a little recap of the first couple weeks of the Proverbs series, and this series is called The Good Life, and it's about wisdom, and it's about uh, the wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. In week one, Kelly Kelly opened us up in this series, and he started talking about what wisdom looks like. He talked about what Proverbs is and isn't. It's not a book of do this and get that, It's a book filled with wisdom that gives us guidance and direction from God in which way he wants us to go. And in week two, last week, he did a great job of talking to us about wise decision-making. This is also a very broad topic that he did a very good job of distilling down to some very key points. And good decisions and wise decisions are godly decisions, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on this morning as well. And this week, like I said, we're gonna be talking about a satisfied work life. A lot of us have jobs that honestly, we don't want to be at. And we think, oh, we must not be in God's will. We must be in sin. I need a new job. I need to be somewhere else. I need to be doing something else. And so we're not satisfied. And we just use work as a means to an end. So we can pay our bills. We can pay our debt, our credit cards. We can pay for our new phones, whatever it is that we need to pay for. And we don't recognize work for what it actually is. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 21, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to confuse you guys. If you don't have two Bibles, it might be a little hard to keep up. I'm going to read out of the ESV and the message, and the reason I'm going to do this is because they complement one another with regards to translating. So while I was reading this, I I was trying to decide which version to read, and I realized like, wow, the message complements the ESV so well. And the ESV complements the message so well. So as we break down this passage, we're gonna kind of jockey back and forth, but I'll clarify which one I'm reading for if you guys wanna follow along. So Proverbs 21, one through eight out of the ESV, it says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. To do righteous, I'm sorry, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord the Lord than sacrifice haughty eyes and a proud heart the lamp of the wicked are sin the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death the violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just the way of the guilty is crooked but the conduct of the peer is upright. The message says it this way. Good leadership is a channel of water controlled by God. He directs it to to whatever ends he chooses. We justify our actions by appearances, and God examines our motives. Verse three, clean living before God and justice with our neighbors means far more to God than religious performance. Verse four, this one's, just a tough jab. Arrogance and pride, distinguishing marks in the wicked, are just plain sin. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you further behind. It's so simply put. Verse 6: Make it to the top by lying and cheating. Get paid with smoke and a promotion to death. Right? I mean, it's pretty, pretty cut and dry, right? The wicked get buried alive by their loot because they refuse to use it to help others. That's about generosity. Mixed motives twist life into tangles and peer motives take you straight down the road. I forgot to start my timer. Did Kelly send you the email that said we're gonna go for 90 minutes today? He <laughs> didn't? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wanna share a story with you guys before we start to break the scripture down. I was about four years old and my mom came to me. She told me this story, maybe... I don't know, five or six years ago it was. And I guess I was watching Sesame Street and there was this, this thing on called the get a job blob. And he's like, you can be a cop or you can be a firefighter or you can be a trash man. You can do whatever you want. And my mom said, she just watched me. I was just like, just fixed. And I was just mesmerized by this job blob. And so this goes on for four or five minutes and at the end, she comes over to me and she says, hey, Ryan, so what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, not work. <laughs> <laughs> so... Even at, even at like four, year old, four years old, my heart is like turned away from this thing that God designed to be holy. I'm like, nope, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So uh, the running joke actually is I'm a construction inspector, and so I stand around and watch people work. And so, so when she told me this story, she's like, found a way to do it. I can't believe that. And, and, and I mean, honestly, I, I work hard. I don't need to explain myself. Uh, but, but yes, I found a way to not work. I watch other people work, and I make sure that they do it right. So that one's free. It doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about in, in, in whole. So My first point We're called to work from literally the very beginning of creation. We're called to work. If you look at Genesis, I'm just going to blow through it, and I'm going to just make some quick points. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. Verse 6, God said, let there be expanse or sky separating heaven from earth. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered into one and land appeared. Verse 11, God said, let plants and vegetation appear. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights, the sun and the moon. It's like a heavenly clapper. Boom, the sun and the moon. Verse 20, God said, let the waters swarm, meaning fish, crab, shark, whatever we find in the water. Verse 22, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, all the land animals that we see. Verse 26, God said, let us make man. Jumping ahead into verse 22, it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work and he rested we need to remember to rest god worked for 6 days and on the 7th day he rested and if god the creator of everything is working what does that mean for us in genesis 2:15 it says the lord took man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and keep it so we see from the beginning of time god had predestined us and ordained us to work This is a holy thing, this isn't something that is an extra additive to our lives. This isn't something that we do to just provide money for the things that we need, like I said a few minutes ago. And then there's Jesus, and in Mark 6, 3, he's referred to as the carpenter. Isn't this the carpenter, that passage says? So we know that he had a vocation as well before he began his ministry. Jesus, God in flesh, worked as well. And then in John 14, 26, it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here we have God, the creator of everything, working. We have God placing the first man in the very beginning of scripture in chapter two in the garden to work it. And then we see Jesus coming, the second part of the Trinity, God in flesh, working as a carpenter. And then we see the Holy Spirit coming and working in our hearts and in our lives to reveal to us the things that God has spoken to us and to lead us. I think work is just such a massive topic. I was telling Steph and several other people, I feel like I'm only going to be able to hit it from 30,000 feet. And, and my prayer has been, God, bring it from 30,000 feet down into our hearts. And I think and trust that the Lord is going to do that today. I've tried to distill it down to these couple of points. I have three, actually, and the first one was we're called to work from the very beginning. So what does it mean to have a satisfying work life or a good life? It's to have a godly life. That's what we've been talking about. The good life, wisdom, wise decision-making, the way we do that is to have a godly life. The problem is we get so much of our identity from work. It defines who we are. It becomes everything that we are. When we meet people, we introduce ourselves and one of the first questions we often ask the person is what do you do for work? It's an easy conversation starter, but it also is is this, this lens that we view things through that tells us that our identity is in our work. When in reality, we're not defined by our work, we should define our work by who we are in Christ. If you're a Christ follower today, and you go into the workplace like I've done in the past, and said, man, I'm having such a hard time, this is such a secular place, I wanna, I wanna change that. I said that many years ago, I was like, I wish i just worked in a Christian workplace. And the Lord came to me and he said, you're there. And I was like, whoa, all right. It is a Christian workplace because I'm there. I don't have to be defined by my workplace. I define the workplace By who I am in Christ. As soon as I take my eyes off of Jesus, I begin to become defined by my work. It's like Peter when he jumped out of the boat and he was walking on water, which is the most amazing thing ever that I could imagine. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. He was looking at the wind of the waves and his circumstances. It's the same thing in our workplace. I start looking at the person next to me and I'm like, man, that's a really nice car. How can he afford that? What do I got to do to get that car? man, that's a really nice house. I need to find another job because I need to make more money so that I can buy a house like that. And I become defined by my work as soon as I take my eyes off of Jesus. If I keep my eyes fixed on him, I tend to forget about all of that stuff and I let him define me in the workplace. Look at things how, how things are marketed to us. There's that car company, Lexus, and if you know like, their, their tagline, their slogan, it's the relentless pursuit of perfection and they're talking about a car, but it still like creates this like nag in our hearts, like, man, if I get that car that's, that's almost perfect, maybe somehow I'll be a little more perfect. Maybe somehow I'll be viewed a little differently, and I'll look a little more perfect to the person that's driving by me down the road. It's, it's, it's not from God. We look at other workers, blue-collared workers, white-collared workers, uh, office workers, salesmen, Fishermen policemen firemen you name it and while we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another Every billboard you see is trying to get us to buy something. I need a new car. I need to go to this school I need to go on that vacation. I need to be in this place and immediately. We're like I need a promotion I need a new job. We're no longer satisfied, but because we're living by the world's standards it's not the way that God had intended things. And oftentimes we're bitter because we're going into a workplace that we don't even want to be at. Years ago, I went to Tacati, Mexico. <clears throat> I don't know if I would call that a third world country, but it's very impoverished. And if any of you have ever been to a third world country, you may have recognized what I recognized. They don't struggle with this like we do. They don't have all of these things vying for our attention and things seem so much more simple and they actually seem a lot happier. They have many other struggles, many other things to deal with, but all these things trying to get their attention and all these competing comparison attitudes are just not there and they seem so much more happy. Our culture screams at us, you're not enough. You're not enough. And in Jesus, we are. We, We aren't. But through and in and through Jesus, we are enough. Back to the proverb. <laughs> in the first verse, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This is out of the ESV. Solomon's referring to himself. King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and he's talking about his heart posture. And he's basically saying that he's surrendered to God, and therefore God can direct him in the direction that he wants him to go. This is an excellent picture of how we should be with regards to work. Our hearts should be like streams of water that flow into the areas that are lacking water or sustenance and need life. And when we submit those things and our hearts to God, he directs the flow of where we go. And people are blessed and we are satisfied and God is glorified. A few weeks ago, my boss called me for the company that I work for and he wanted me to go up to Pismo Beach and I'm in a lovely place, great place to go visit, but he wanted me to go work there for four months, and Monday through Friday. And he says, hey, go talk to your wife. This is what needs to happen. I need you up there. The guy we sent up there didn't work out. And I go to Steph, and I'm like, this is what he's telling me. And while her and I are talking about this, this is on a Friday. He calls me again, and I didn't answer the phone call. And I listen to the voicemail, and he says, if you don't take this job, you're gonna lose your job. And so I'm like, oh, shoot. I need this job. It provides a very good income it provides benefits medical retirement all of these things that are necessary for us to get by and to to pay for the things that we have and pay for the things that we need and so we talked it over and I sent a text message out to a few guys and I gave Kelly a call and the reason I called Kelly was because I needed some wise counsel my my mind was fuzzy the world was telling me take the job worldly wisdom was telling me you need to do this you have to go you don't have a choice you're about to lose your job and so I enlisted wise counsel from from Kelly and and asked him the question what do you think how do you think I should handle this I I can't I can't see clearly through this and after a little bit of talking it over with with Steph and, and a lot of prayer and a lot of people praying and talking with Kelly we had decided that I wasn't gonna take the job And. Realizing the ramifications of that decision, the, the, that didn't matter. And here's why we were going to say no. Because we feel that God has called us here with you guys to love you guys and to, to, to be loved on and to love the city of Chino. And if I had gone, I wouldn't be in a life group, let alone leading one. I wouldn't be standing here right now. I would have been gone Monday through Friday and I would have shown up here on Sunday and I would have gone home and done it again. Godly wisdom told me to decline the job and risk losing my job despite what the physical circumstances said, and to, to come here and to be with you guys and to be a part of this church, wholly and completely, not just on Sunday. Here's one thing I tend to do. I tend to pit wisdom against faith. It's like this pendulum. I'm like, ooh, this is a wisdom decision, this is a faith decision. And when you actually marry the two, like in this situation, Something supernatural happens. So I took faith. I have faith for this community. I have faith to what God has called us to. My wife and I have faith to to the future that we have in the church. But also, I used wisdom, godly wisdom, and I joined the two, and I said, God, what do you want? What do you have in and through this? And the Lord said, it's taken care of. The, the, the miraculous thing is I have a friend who who works for the same company and he gave me a call this again This happened on Friday. I had till Monday to make the decision He called me on Saturday and he says hey, uh, so our boss Bert. He he gave me a call and he uh, Asked me about this Pismo job. I'm like, well, I'm gonna lose my job if I don't take that job And he's like, I'm, I'm gonna take it And I'm gonna take it for these reasons. My oldest daughter is away in college my, oldest, my youngest son, he has two kids, is a senior in high school. He's never home. And my wife works, and she's barely ever there. So I'm in a way better position to take, it, to, to take the job than you are. The funny thing is, this guy's not a believer. He's not a man of faith. But he says to me, you just moved to Chino for your fellowship. You've got a young daughter. You just moved your older daughter, and she's having to settle. You can't be gone for that amount of time. And then he said, this thing blew my mind he says ryan he's ministering to me this guy doesn't even wow doesn't even believe in jesus and he says ryan it goes like this three things first faith second family third work in that order (laughs) and i'm like all right god i'm listening you know i get it i'm not going to take the job he's going to take it the amazing thing is my boss calls me on monday and and dave lives down his my friend's name is dave he lives down here and he had two or three other jobs. And my boss says, oh, you, hey, I figured it out. You get a reprieve. Now you got to take Dave's work. And, and now I'm slammed. And It's just like the Lord saying, don't worry about that. Godly wisdom said, stay here. I've, it's, it's under control. I've got it squared away. And so I went from just about losing my job to having more work than I know what to do with and being ministered to by a man who's not even a believer and reinforcing my decision. In Proverbs 21, two through three, I'm gonna read both. Every, man of, uh, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The message says it this way. We justify our actions by appearances. God examines our motives. Clean living before God and justice with our neighbors mean far more to God than religious performance. As, every time I read I was like, oh, that hurts. It's a little bit of a jab. So what does this mean? This could mean you're sitting in your office in your cubicle, whatever it is, and you've got your computer up, and you've got Facebook open, and you've got Twitter open, and you've got Amazon open, and you're liking everybody's Facebook posts, and you're trying to find something clever to see on Twitter because that's where smart people go. And you're trying to, you're buying Christmas presents, and then you have that one work program open and the boss comes in and you're like, hey man, hey, how's it going? And, and, and you're not being honest. You're justifying your actions by your appearance. I share that story because I have done that. That's not something that I haven't done. You know what happens when, for me when I operate out of a place like that? I end up feeling convicted because the Holy Spirit lives inside me, and I'm not being fair to my boss. I'm not earning my wage. And more than that, I'm not honoring God in the workplace. I used to work for this woman, and on a couple of different occasions, she was pretty hard on me. <clears throat> the first time, I don't remember what the issue was, um, but she she had laid into me pretty good. And a friend had told me prior to that engagement or that altercation, he said, "Man, if you're mad at somebody, just go do something nice for them." And the idea behind it is, it takes you outside of yourself, and it gives you. Uh, the opportunity to serve this person as opposed to, to stew in the anger or the frustration or the, or the being upset, whatever, whatever the issue was about. And it made sense to me. And so after that altercation, I went to Starbucks and I bought her her favorite Frappuccino and I took it in her office and I set it down. And she goes, What's this for? And I go, Somebody told me one time that if you were mad at someone, you were supposed to do something nice for them. <laughs> and I walked out. <laughs> it was a little passive aggressive. And uh, so, that was not the right way to handle things. The proverb says, I was right in my own eyes. And I was. I was justifying my actions. I'm right. Here, take this. I wasn't doing what was righteous. Had I said something like, I just wanted to do something nice for you, it probably would have fallen more in line with what that scripture says. Another time, I made a mistake with one of our clients, and she went off on me. And, and was just lighting me up. And, and I didn't answer at all unless I was asked a question. And I would answer, yeah, da, 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 whatever whatever the answer was. Why did you do that? Well, I thought it was the best idea. You, I told you not to do that. Well, but it made sense at the time, you know. And, and, and it was a mistake because she had asked me not to do what I did. And I did it anyways. I was ready to quit. <laughs> I was like just crushed. I was like, this is, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be in a place like this. And that night she gave me a call and she was crying and she was repentant. And this gave me an opportunity to speak to her and, and share the truth with her and teach her and speak to, to her about Jesus and be a light. So what did I do? I married that woman. <laughs> we're not done, we're not done. <laughs> I shared that story because I handled it much better than the first scenario I came from a place of pure heart I wanted to see her grow I wanted to see her fall more in love with Jesus I wanted to see her change and I knew that God wanted her to change and I had an opportunity to be a light in a place that needed some light and so I was she's taken every opportunity to grow you I always tell myself I'm not gonna cry (laughs) never works I couldn't ask, I couldn't ask for a better wife. And I asked her for permission before I shared those stories. She knew they were coming, so. (laughs) Point number two, we think too highly of ourselves, don't we? Verse four says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. The message says arrogance and pride, distinguishing marks in the wicked are just plain sin. We have unmet expectations, we place them on ourselves and we place them on others. When those expectations are met, we resent the person who hasn't met that expectation. Oftentimes, oftentimes those expectations come from a place of pride. I earned this. I deserve this. This should belong to me. And when those things aren't satisfied, we become frustrated. We get a business degree and we assume that we're supposed to start in the position that we got the degree from without the experience. We're doing better than someone in a job and they get the promotion. We're frustrated. We manage a large company. We have a lot of people who report to us and we overuse our authority. We abuse it and we take advantage of the employees. We retire and as Kelly has said for the last couple weeks, we deserve a life on the beach drinking pina coladas. We're done. We've served our time. I'm not trying to minimize what we all do. It's important. We're called to work. Work doesn't need to be minimized, I'm just trying to bring some truth to it. Some of this might sting a little bit, and and it should, because we don't have a right posture towards work. And so my prayer this morning for us has been for that to be refined and changed, and for the Lord to come into it, and to help us to realize what work really is, and what the good life really is, and what it means to make wise decisions in the workplace. There's a few people in here who are retired, That doesn't mean that you retire from your faith. That doesn't mean that you retire from a relationship with Jesus. That doesn't mean that you get to run off to the beach for the rest of your life and drink pina coladas. There is time for that. There is time for that. But the Lord still has a plan for you. The Lord still has purpose for you. You could be mentoring young men or women. You could be serving here on a Sunday. You could be leading a life group. Steve, where's Steve? Steve Lovan over there, anytime we ask him to do something, anytime we have a work party, anytime there's something that needs to be done, Steve shows up. He's always available. And he's a retired man, but he makes himself available. And he's a good testament to what it means to be living a wise and satisfied work life beyond retirement and in the walls and beyond the walls of the church. King Solomon appears to have this issue that uh, these proverbs talk about haughty eyes and a proud heart, arrogance and pride, distinguishing marks of the wicked. He's a wise man, but I'm going to give you a quick little recap of his life out of first kings. So first Kings, chapter one through chapter 12, detail out who he was, he was super wise, he was wealthy, but in, chapter t- but in chapter 11, it starts talking about how many wives and concubines he had. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It seems that he thought pretty highly of himself, right? I mean, you got 700 wives, like, hey, you, come here, come join my, my I, I don't even know what to say. I'm gonna leave that one alone. <laughs> I have things to say. I'm just gonna not touch that. In verse two of 1 Kings 11, God tells the Israelites not to marry foreign women because they will turn their hearts to other gods. This is what happened to Solomon. Before that, he was literally given 25 tons of gold each year. That's 50,000 pounds. 50,000 pounds of gold each year. That's $65 million a year by the world standards today. That would make me nuts. I would be, I don't think I would be in the church, and the Lord knows that, and that's why I do not have $65 million. <laughs> so let's just be honest here. And, and clearly the man was crazy. He married 700 women and had 300 concubines. Ladies, before you get offended, this is a jab at Solomon, not you. And if you married 700 men, I would be like, you're crazy. So. <laughs> so we're starting to see the problem. The issue is an issue of the heart and a misconception about work is what work is and what work isn't. So let's look at the solution. My last point, point number three, work is worship and wealth, not worth. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 9.10, which is also attributed to Solomon, says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Solomon spoke from a place of experience I'm way more prone to follow somebody who comes to me and says I did that don't do it I did this and it worked really well. You should give it a try We can see in scripture that Solomon had this rise and this fall And so he had the experience to be speaking to us about these things It's like uh, in my in my industry We have engineers and a lot of these engineers haven't spent any time in the field and this isn't a jab at engineers This is just the reality of our industry And this engineer makes this design and he runs the numbers and everything works. Everything calcs out. Everything is as it's supposed to be. And then we go out in the field to build it and we're like, nope, that's not going to work. He doesn't have the experience in the field to be able to determine what actually needs to happen. And so it's just the same with, with Solomon here. We can trust what he says. His words are wise. They're divinely inspired by God and he has experience with these things. Colossians 3:17 says whatever you do in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Our work is worship. We were designed to work. And when we worship through our work God is honored, we are beacons of light in places that need it and people are changed. Work is wealth. And I'm not talking about monetarily. It does provide an income. It does provide a means to an end. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what scripture is talking about when it talks about work is wealth. <clears throat> you have a holy gratification for what you do as you do it, and it's a gift. You ever work really hard, and at the end of the day, you're like, man, I feel so good. That was an amazing day of work. Look what we accomplished. It's holy. It's holy. We're satisfied because we worked hard. We gave it everything that we had. The other day, Jordan had a school project to do, and her and Steph were were trying to bang it out. And, And at the end, Jordan was, like, shaken because the girls that were supposed to contribute to this project weren't helping out. And so we had to step up and kind of step in. And Steph came alongside her and helped her out. And at the end of the project, it took about two and a half hours, Jordan's face was beaming because of what she had accomplished. And, and, and despite all of the frustration and hardship that it took for her to get to the place where she was like, okay, I'll just do the assignment and I'll give it my best. And she gave it her best and she was satisfied in her work. And she got like 120 points for a 100 point project, so pretty good. That is wealth. Even, after God, even God said after he completed his work that it was good. He was satisfied in his work, he was satisfied with the things that he had accomplished. Lastly, to point number three, work is not wealth, or work is not worth, sorry. It's it's not where we get our value from. Our value comes from Jesus. When you put your worth in your job and you lose that job, what happens? Where do you go? What do you turn to? Where's your foundation? If your foundation is in Jesus, it's not necessarily that big of a deal because Jesus is our provider, Jesus is our sustenance, Jesus is our everything. We're gonna take the last section of, of this proverb as a whole, look at verses five through eight, and I'm gonna read both again, the ESV and the message. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Sorry, I'm trying to see how much time I have left. A Couple minutes. Uh, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. The way of the, wicked, the, way of the guilty is crooked, but the, conduct of, but the conduct of the peer is upright. Careful planning, this is the message. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts you farther behind. Making it to the top by lying and cheating, get paid with smoke and promotion to death. The wicked get buried alive by their loot because they refuse to help others. Mixed motives twist life into tangles. Pure motives take you straight down the road. My dad and mom are here this morning, and dad, I want to take a a second to honor you. And I'm going to cry again, so bear with me. Um, You taught me work, work ethic. And you never hurried or complained or cheated. You did work with honor and integrity and character and truth. And I work like you because of what you modeled. It was Christ-like. And you always tell me that you pray every morning on the way to work, and I do the same thing, and I thank you for that example. Kelly said, last week in Proverbs 3, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. <clears throat> that verse 8 says, mixed motives twist life into tangles, but pure motives take you down the straight road. I love how verse six articulates it. It's, it is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. You ever try to grab a vapor? It's just gone. You can't get it. You might hold onto it for a second, but as soon as you open your hand, poof, it's gone. A snare is used to trap animals. And you set it, and the animal runs through it, and it chokes them out to death. And this passage is giving us an example of, of what it is to, to work in a deceitful way, in a dishonoring way in a way that lacks integrity and character. Jesus had a bad day. He had a couple of bad days. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating blood and he was asking God if there was another way. In Matthew 26:39, he says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. His work on the cross. We're going to have bad days at work. But we have a choice as to how we let those days affect us that was my cue all right and no, I'm just kidding <laughs> sorry uh, Jesus chose to submit to the will of his father even though it was going to be hard and he was glorified in his sacrifice imagine if Jesus was like nope I'm not doing it I'm out you guys can deal with this on your own God called us to work Adam and Eve committed sin and then work became part of the fall. God said in Genesis three seventeen, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And then Jesus came and redeemed us, including our work. Everything was accomplished and restored by him through his sacrifice on the cross, work included. And he continues his work in us. He continues his work in us through the power of the Spirit. And he continued his, and completed his work as a carpenter on the cross with wood and nails. Proverbs 19, 20, This is me closing right here if you want to come up, Kelly. Um, Proverbs 19, 20, and 21. The message says, take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. We humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purposes prevail. That's the good life, and that's being satisfied in our work.